Exodus chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. This is the continuation of uh, Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush. Exodus 4, verses 1 through 17. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute? or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite, I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you shall speak to him. And you will put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you both what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your word is a lamp to our feet. In it we find words of comfort and we find words that confront us in our sin and our pride. May you do both of those things this morning. Teach us, Lord, to to rely upon you and in your power over life and death. To not rely upon ourselves. Work in us, Lord, by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, a few weeks ago, there was something that I was really afraid of failing in. Uh, I, was, I was really afraid that I was going to fail. And so, I came home to Masha and I started talking to Masha and I was just telling her about my fear, how I was afraid I was going to mess up and fail. And she, she said to me, Isaac, what's the worst that could happen? 
And, of course, you know, I proceeded to explain all the terrible things that were going to happen. Well, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. It's going to be terrible and awful and devastating, and everything's going to go wrong, and I'm going to die. <laughs> and then Masha gave me the look. Husbands, you know the look. Right? It's that look that your wife gives you when she's like... And then she said, so? And I was like, do you not just listen to all the terrible things that were going to happen? Were you not listening to me? But really what I was afraid of, I was afraid that failure would feel like dying. And Masha pointed out that that's not actually the worst that could happen. Who isn't afraid of failure? Right? Which one of us can raise their hand and say that they're not afraid of dying, that they're not afraid of failing? I think we're all afraid of it. It's a fear that we all know. But it's a good question. Is that really the worst that could happen? And I think Moses would say yes. Failure and dying is the worst that could happen. This passage is about Moses' fear of death. It's about the Lord comforting Moses and confronting Moses. And he does it not by pointing Moses to his own resources, but he does it by, by pointing Moses to God's resources. And what resources specifically? Right In your, in your outline, that's what it says at the top. But what resources specifically is God pointing Moses towards in this chapter? or in this passage. And it's something that only God can do. And the answer is that God has the power over life and death. To put it all together, here's what I hope you take away today. The Lord comforts and confronts Moses by showing him that he is the God of death and resurrection. He comforts and confronts Moses by showing him that he is the God of life and death. So let's look at the text. How does this play out? Um, but first, let's look at how, how the Lord comforts Moses. Right? If you remember last week, we, we looked at chapter 3. And in chapter 3, the Lord appears to Moses and says, Here's this mission that I want you to do. Go to Israel. Go tell them my name and tell them that I promise to deliver them out of the land of Egypt and to take them to the land of Canaan. And he calls Israel to go. He's, he sets in motion. He reveals himself as, as Israel's Savior, who is holy and unapproachable, and yet wants his people to know him. So here's this amazing revelation of who God is, that he is holy and powerful, and yet desires his people to know him by name. And the first words out of Moses' mouth, chapter 4, verse 1, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Imagine kneeling before God, who just promised to rescue Israel out of Egypt. And the first thing that comes to your mind is how Israel is going to react to you. 
first thing out of your mouth is, well, they're not going to believe me. Right? This, this shows that Moses is, is more interested in Moses than he is interested in God. He's more interested in how Israel will react to him than he is how they will react to God. I think he's afraid. Moses is, is afraid. And he's afraid of something specific. Right? Because two chapters ago, Moses, full of this, of this prideful, messianic-driven purpose, goes and says, I'm going to be awesome today. I'm going to go free Israel. And his method is to slay an Egyptian. Right? And what happens? Israel rejects him as their savior. His life crumbles, and he has to run for his life. Imagine living under the shadow of that failure, of that colossal failure where you lose everything. You lose all your friends. You lose all your family. You lose your status. You lose your money. You lose your homeland. Moses is off miles and miles and miles away in a land that is basically desert. And here God says, go back to that place where you were ejected. Go back to that place where they were trying to kill you. Of course, Moses, his first thought is, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go back there. Why? Because he's just afraid that history will repeat itself. He's going to go back. He's going to try to save Israel. They will reject him again. And he is going to be pursued by people who want to kill him. Failure has defined him. So when God says, go back to the place of your failure, Moses says, okay, quick, I need to come up with an excuse. I can't go back. But God knows. God sees what Moses is saying. He sees Moses' fear. And he addresses it. He addresses his Moses' addresses Moses' doubt and fear by giving him comfort. He gives him these signs, signs of power that he is to take to Israel and perform so that Israel will believe him. Right? He gives him proof. You're afraid they won't believe you? Here's some proof so that they will believe you. And he gives him uh, first two signs. Right? He gives first the sign of transformation of Moses' staff. Uh, he throws it on the ground. It becomes a snake. And then the Lord says to Moses, catch it by the tail. And he does, and it turns back into a staff. And then verse 5, the second sign, or sorry, verse 5, the reason that God gives this sign, that they may believe that I, the Lord, your God, the, the, the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, that I have appeared to you. Here's proof. Instead of rebuking Moses, right, he addresses, addresses the doubt and the fear head on. And if that weren't enough, right, if one sign was not enough, he gives him a second sign. In verse 6, again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak, and he put it inside his cloak. When he took it out, 
His hand was leprous, like snow. And then the Lord said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And so he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored. It was healed. I think these signs are more than just proof to Israel. I think the Lord is saying something to Moses. He said, here's Moses' fear of failure and of dying. And the Lord says, right, I know it looks like going back to Israel is certain death, but here's a sign for me to show you. I can turn the ordinary staff into a deadly threat, and then I can save you from it. You're afraid of dying, Moses? I can hit you with a disease. I can turn your hand leprous, and then I can heal you. You're afraid of dying? I can kill, but then I can bring back to life. That's what these signs are saying. Is God saying to Moses, I know you're afraid of dying, but I'm the God who raises the dead. I'm the one who can heal you and protect you. Why should Moses fear death when the God who raises the dead stands with him? Yeah, it looks like going to Israel is a suicide mission. But God is the one who is in control and who has the power to protect Moses. That's comfort. That's the Lord reaching down to Moses' doubt and comforting him. But then he gives him a third sign. Right? Because who, who does Moses fear the most? Perhaps it's Israel and being rejected by Israel. But God specifically told Moses in chapter 3 to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Imagine going to the king of the biggest uh, nation in the world and saying, submit to my demands. (laughs) It's not going to end well. So, of course, Moses is afraid of that. But God gives him a third sign. This is verse 9. They will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice. You shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Notice how this third sign does not involve any transformation back. The first sign, a deadly threat that is turned into a staff. The second, a deadly disease turned into healing. The third one, water to blood, but no return. I think it's because the first two signs are from Moses. But the third one's for Egypt. The third sign is the Lord saying, yeah, I raise the dead, but I also kill. I have the power to turn water to blood. Which for Moses means that God has the power to kill his enemies. And for God's people to hear that God will protect and do what it takes to protect them, that's a comfort. 
But it's also scary. Because it means that God is dangerous. Dangerous to those who do not obey him. But Moses is not convinced. God gives him these signs for comfort, but Moses is not yet convinced. Verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. It's ironic, isn't it? This is the longest sentence that Moses has spoken in the entire book. And it's about how terrible he is at talking. He waxes poetic about how awful he is at talking. I think the point that he's making, at least outwardly, right, is that I'm not equipped. So obviously you can't use me, God. Go find someone else. But often our doubts and our fears are disguised as like pious-sounding excuses. Right? We're afraid of doing what God tells us to do, and so we say, well, I'm not equipped to do it. I'm, woe is me, I'm so awful at talking. And it sounds to our ears pious and like we're being humble. But in reality, it's just because we're afraid. In reality, we're being self-centered. It's about us. It's about our pride. It's about our fears. And it's not about God. And yet God still patiently offers Moses words of comfort. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing, or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. If Moses is afraid of losing something in the service of God, God is saying, I am the one who gives and who takes away. Whatever you lose in service to me, I can restore to you, and then some. Whatever you are afraid of losing, whether it's other people's respect, whether it's status or money or your own life, God says, yeah, you may lose it but I'm the one who gives it back. But Moses, again, refuses to be comforted. Verse 13. But Moses said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Finally, right, all the excuses are stripped away. All, the, all the, the external doubts, all the pious-sounding, humble, not humble statements are gone. Now it just comes down to the fact that Moses does not want to go. Because Moses is afraid. And twice now, the Lord has addressed Moses' doubts. Twice 
the Lord has said, whatever you're afraid of, I got it. But they don't satisfy Moses' doubt. And why? Because doubt can't be satisfied. There's no amount of proof in the world that would satisfy Moses' doubt. There's no amount of signs that God could give him where he would no longer be afraid. Because doubt is really about pride. And what it boils down to is that Moses will not give up his pride. All of his objections have been about himself. Implicit challenges to God. That God has to appease Moses before he will obey. Instead of submitting to God and submitting his fears and his doubts to God. So this is the second way that God addresses those fears and doubts. First he does it with comfort, but now he confronts it. Now that it's out in the open, God confronts it. Verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Do you imagine God being angry with you? Being face to face with God? and He's mad. That's scary. That's a confrontation. Because God and pride don't mix. God does not tolerate pride. He's patient. Right? He, he spends almost this entire passage comforting Moses, giving him reasons to not be afraid, giving him reasons to not be prideful. When it finally comes down to it, God confronts Moses' pride and says, this is not okay. And notice how, how God responds. Moses says, please send someone else. And God says, I'll send someone with you, but you can't get out of it. You cannot get out of this mission. And even though Aaron will go with you, Who's going to bear the responsibility? It's still Moses. Right? Moses will speak to the people, but he shall be your mouth, verse 16, and you shall be as God to him. That means that Moses is still the one bearing the responsibility. Moses is still the mediator between God and man. Aaron will help, but God says, you cannot get out of it. You still have to face your fear. You still have to deal with the responsibility of failure, the risk of death. But not because God is is hateful, but because, because God wants Moses to trust him. God wants Moses to see that his fear of death That's not the worst that could happen. Death is not the worst case scenario for Moses. What what is? The third sign. Death without hope. 
death without resurrection. That's the worst case scenario. And that's not what's going to happen to Moses. Because God is saying, I am the God of resurrection. When you go in service to me, even though you should die, I will raise you again. The worst that can happen is that I raise you from dead. That's what's true for Moses. It's actually worse if Moses were to completely disobey and run from God and reject God because that's what will happen to Egypt. Egypt will die without hope. Egypt Egypt will be struck with plagues without resurrection. So Moses has a very clear choice. Serve God. Serve the God who controls life and death. Or follow in the path of Egypt. It's not a choice, is it? It's pretty clear what Moses has to do. So through both comfort and confrontation, the Lord says, trust me that I raise the dead. This is not the first time and it's not the last time that God will teach this lesson to his people. It's not the last time that God will will comfort and confront one of his people who are struggling with doubt and fear. In John 20, Thomas the disciple, he hears that God, that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. What is that but fear? Because he has seen Jesus die on the cross. And he says, that's the worst case scenario. That's the worst that can happen is Jesus dies. But then Jesus comes to him. Jesus comes to Thomas. He says, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand on my side, Thomas, and believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Even though Thomas doubted and was afraid that death was the final word, Jesus says, is it? No, it's not. Because I am the God of life and death. I am the God of resurrection. And then Jesus confronts him and says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What a slap in the face to our pride. But isn't that the message of the cross? Comfort 
that we serve a God who can raise the dead to life and a confrontation that our pride and our fear is completely unbased and it's wrong. It comforts by showing that Jesus was willing to give up his life for you. And it confronts you because it was your pride and it was your doubt that put him on the cross. And yet, he went anyways. Now the call is the same that it was to Moses, that it was to Thomas. It's the same call to you. Believe. Believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And go. Obey God and what he has called you to do. Even if it means that you have to face death. Because you serve a God who raises the dead. Get rid of your fear. And trust God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, have mercy on us. For we doubt you. We are afraid. We make pious-sounding excuses to get out of what you've called us to do. And Lord, though you show us comfort after comfort, we refuse to be satisfied. And often you have to confront us in our pride before we start to listen. But Lord, we thank you that you were willing to do that. We thank you that you were willing to send your son to die for a bunch of stubborn, prideful people and to raise them to life. We thank you for your amazing grace that you have loved us even while we were enemies. Glory be to you, Lord, until we get to see you face to face. In your name we pray. Amen.